Bibles tonight to Genesis chapter 16. It was continue preaching on this journey through uh, Genesis. Again, uh, on the camp meeting, let me just give you a little bit about it. Uh, what we're going to try to do is kind of work through in 30 minute approximately segments where we'll have somebody preaching for 15 to 20 minutes and then have a congregational song or two, maybe a testimony, get somebody right back in the pulpit and, uh, and then again, 15, 20 minutes and just keep a rolling and a going. And uh, so we'll just, but, but I've, I, I've kind of got the, the, the walls up, but I ain't got the curtains hung. I'm going to let God hang the curtains. Amen. Amen. We'll let God lead, but we'll try to have some structure to that. So anyway, uh, I am going to say, I'm going to probably do some preaching during this thing. And uh, uh, the Lord's been dealing with me about some messages. And so I will be preaching probably more than I have in the past on that. Genesis chapter 16. We're looking in uh, Abraham's part of this thing, and uh, boy, I tell you, uh, this is probably to me one of the saddest and most sordid chapters in uh, in the Bible. There's others, but boy, this is a this is a rough one because you just got through watching Abraham be such a man of faith, uh, delivering Lot, refusing the king of Sodom. Boy, I mean, tell you what, just absolutely walking with God and God using him. But I'm glad that the Bible not just doesn't record the greatness of a man. I'm glad he records the guile that's in a man. I'm glad doesn't just, God just doesn't record his faithfulness, but I'm glad he records our fail, his failures. Because when I read him, then the, when they fail, that gives me hope. Well... Huh. Okay, God, God, there's all a bunch of non-sinning, perfect people. I, I, I think I just walk off in the woods somewhere and forget about it. Be no hope for me. Let's read tonight Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarah's Abram's wife, and just to throw in this tonight, both Sarai and Abram are going to have their names changed in the next chapter. This is a sea change in her life. You know, in a lot of foreign countries, when people get saved and become a Christian, they change their names. They take on Bible names. To this day, they do that. Uh, God's going to change Sarah's name, going to change Abram's. We'll look at that later. She, his wife bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. But Abraham said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her, this is talking about Hagar now, by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence comest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly. 
that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. <clears throat> and he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, I have I have I also here looked after him that seeth me. Wherefore the well was called Be'er Lahir Leroy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. Father, help me to preach tonight and to do what they did over there in the book of Nehemiah to read the Word of God and to give them understanding distinctly where the people could understand and get the meat of the Word and the good out of the Word and the truth, Lord, and the application of it to our lives and to our time and to our own situation. I thank you, Lord, that there's not anything everybody's going to ever have to deal with but what has already been written in the Word of God, uh, some way, somehow, an answer, not only, Lord, to show the truth about it, but to give the remedy for it. And I pray, God, tonight that you'll bless this message to this church's heart and God, I pray that you'll give encouragement, strength, and glorify your name through it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Before I start preaching tonight, I want to tell you, tonight would be a really good night to get saved. And I honestly believe tonight that someone may get saved tonight, either here or listening online. And I'd like for you to think about, while I'm preaching, am I truly saved? And if I'm not, what am I going to do about it? And I want you, God's going to ask this lady, this young lady, two important questions that every person needs to answer in their life. But we're going to look at this story and we're going to learn some things. The Bible said in, in, in Romans 15, 3, the things that are written aforetime, back in the Old Testament, written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And God wants to give you hope. All across America and around the world tonight, <clears throat> there are millions of babies that have been conceived in a bad situation, just like you had right here in this passage of Scripture. Across this country tonight, there are millions of young ladies that are in rough, rough situations, just like this young lady was in. This young lady was a, uh, an Egyptian girl. Uh, if you want to talk about a rough background, uh, back in chapter 12, Abraham, Abram and Sarah had went down to Egypt because of a famine. They didn't trust God through the famine. They thought we're going to go down where we can take care of this thing. And while they were down there, evidently they picked up this girl. Now I'm going to tell you something. She was probably, you, you talk about child trafficking. <clears throat> Are you listening to me? Yeah. This girl could not have been. There's been 10 years passed between the time they came back from Egypt up to Canaan land. Tells you. This girl probably was six to eight years old would be the best guess I can have at the time she was taken out of Egypt. Did you ever wonder what happened to her mother and her father? Where were they? How did Abram and Sarah wind up with this little girl? My guess about the thing at that time was that Abram and Sarah, one or the other, or maybe both, decided that, well, you know, that'd be good for you to have this little girl to help you do chores around the house. And she could sweep and she could do the dishes and she could do all these things and, and probably picked her up for near nothing. Did you know the Bible says that there'd be a time, and has been a time in among the Jewish people where uh, children were sold for nothing almost sold for nothing nearly. And uh, 
I've, I've thought about the back of this story. The Bible doesn't tell us about this, but that's just in my thoughts. How did this girl, you know, what was her background? Where was her mom and daddy? Where was her grandpa, her grandma? And she's up here now with Abram. And let me just tell you something. You ain't never going to go down to Egypt. What you probably bring something back with you is going to hurt you down the road. Some things you ought to leave alone. But anyway, I pray tonight that uh, if you're not saved, that you'll get saved. And I mean that. I want you to be thinking about that while I'm preaching. Uh, As I said, one of the saddest, most sordid chapters in the Bible. There's many things that this story will give you and I wisdom for. Number one, the high cost of sin. Man, does sin ever have a cost? The the, The Ishmael was the father of the Arab people. To this very day, they've been the enemy of the nation of Israel. This one incident caused, it stills ringing consequences of sin down through history. They would wipe Israel off the face of the earth tonight if they had the military capability of doing it. When Abram did this, he never counted the cost of sin that it was going to cost his people. Secondly, it'll teach us the deceitfulness of sin and godless pleasure. It always looks like it's going to be worth it, but it's never worth it. (laughs) It teaches, number three, the long-term consequences of sin. This thing went on and on and on and continues today. It also teaches us the effect on ourselves and other people that our decisions had. When Sarai got to talking to Abram, and Abram and they made some decisions, it affected this girl. And it affected her entire life for the future. You don't sin unto yourself. You sin every time it affects other people's lives. Fifthly, the spiritual reality of the warfare is in this story between your flesh and your spirit. I can guarantee you that God's put in Abram's conscience, don't do this. This is not right. I believe that Sarai knew this is not right. But right here you witnessed a fight between their flesh and their spirit. And they allowed their flesh to rule over their spirit and dominate their spirit. And it cost them. Chapter 16 and 17 goes together because chapter 16 shows you the damage of living after the flesh. But chapter 17 is going to show you how God conquers the flesh. Now, it also shows the danger and the foolishness of laboring and serving God or trying to fulfill God's call or work for your life, doing it in the power of the flesh. This is one of the biggest issues in this chapter. God had a purpose. He had a promise to these people. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you a heritage. And you're going to have a son. It seemed like it wasn't happening. So they decided... We're going to make this happen on our own. We're going to help God out. One of the most dangerous things you'll ever do in your life is try to fulfill a God-given vision in the power and, in, in, and the wisdom of your own flesh. And finally, it is a warning and danger and rejection of God of the works of the flesh inside the church. Now, first of all, I want to talk to you tonight about Sarah's suggestion. I, I, this blows me away. I can't imagine this. Look what she said there in chapter 16, verse 1. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, buried no children. She had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah says unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from marrying. I pray thee, go unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. What a crazy suggestion. Anybody in this church house think that would go over at your house? I mean, you read this like this is nuts. This is crazy. Now, I've got an entire message you can, I can take you from Genesis through the Bible 
that most of the time, <laughs> girls don't, women don't get mad about this. I'm telling you, Bible. When men took the suggestions of their wife, it got them in trouble. They listened to their wife over the, over the word of God. It'll get you in trouble every time. From Eve, right on through Sarah. I mean, right on down through. I, I preached an entire message. I don't even remember what I named it, but I preached it three or four years ago about the danger of listening to your wife's counsel above the Lord. And it's very dangerous to do that. Why on earth did Sarah do this? Well, there's some things I think we ought to think about. It could be that she is bitter. She hadn't had any children. The Bible says in Proverbs that the barren womb is never satisfied. I don't know what it might be in your life, and I want this to apply to everybody, but if you're not careful, there are some things that you dreamed about wanted so bad that you got bitter when it didn't happen on the timetable that you thought it ought to happen. Yeah. And it's a, this is critical stuff. This is where you get wisdom and understanding from the Word of God. It is at that critical junction in your life that's when you need to have patience and faith and wait upon the Lord. Wait up, I say, wait upon the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. Many times, God allows what looks like an absolute concrete wall to your dreams, to your hopes, your desires, to be placed there and, you, and to see what you will do. And if you'll accept and come up with your own ideas how to fulfill what God, what you believe God wanted for your life. It's a dangerous point in your life. Usually if you pass that test just beyond that wall, God says, here it is. And he'll do it in a way that you can't imagine. Amen. But sometimes it's bitterness because God hasn't moved at the time we think. I can remember as a 22-year-old young man, just kind of, there ain't, there ain't nobody out there for me. And, you know, just getting a little bit, you know, and if we're not careful, we do just exactly what she did. We blame God for it. Yeah. So it could have been bitterness. Uh, Satan could have been tormenting her in, her in her mind about, you don't have any children. You can't give your husband any children. You, you got, you know, there's this blah, blah, blah. And I've, I've seen a few situations where this can get you. I say to you, be careful about uh, promises that you have in the word of God or even dreams or the vision that you feel God has for your life about the fulfillment of it. Secondly, unbelief. I, evidently, she didn't really believe God. This was evidence. God's not going to do it. God didn't come through. God had promised, but it ain't coming through. We're going to have to take this thing in our own hands. That is a dangerous place to get to. Uh, she get into presumption. Presumption is the opposite of faith. Presumption is one of the most dangerous things Christians can mess with. Presumption is deciding to do something and you have no basis in the word of God to do it. And you just presume that it's going to be okay and you want God to go with you. Instead of you following God, you want God to follow you. That's what she was doing. I don't know why she made this suggestion. It could have been a combination of these things. Another thing is don't do things when you're, when, you're, when you're depressed, when you're going through a lot of stress, don't make major decisions usually at that time. Back up. Don't let anybody pressure you and say, now nah, we need an answer from you today. Amen. And just say, no, you don't. Not until God gives me an answer. Amen. Step back. Fast a meal or two. Spend time in prayer. Get along with God. Get in the book. And say, I'll give you an answer about this whenever, the, whenever I feel that I have the answer from God. Many times Satan will try to get you in a position where you've got to give an answer now. You've got to be impetuous and give an answer now and rush you and rush you. I mean, she might have woke up that morning and that idea popped in her head. And she said, man, that sounds good. I think I'll just do that. She should have went out and spent a day with God. She wouldn't have come back in with the same idea. 
She may have been impatient, as I said, taking matters in her own hand. At any rate, her suggestion was plenty of flesh, nature, human reasoning, and the devil. And that'll get you into a mess. As I said, it shows the power and the influence of those under authority. Remember what Job said to his wife? What did Job's wife tell him? Curse God and die. What did Job tell her? You speak as one of the foolish women speak. Be very careful. Be very careful about taking anybody. But here's the, there's, a, there's a life principle. People that are under authority have tremendous influence on those that are in authority. And your wife or even your children can get you to do things that you may know is wrong scripturally, but you just you want to make them happy. Be careful about that. So we have that. Now, I'm just saying this. Beware of unbiblical suggestions to deal with disappointments in life. Because if you don't, first thing you know, you'll be driven to do something stupid like she did. So we first of all looked at Sarah's suggestion. The second thing is I'm going to do is look at Sarah's, Satan's source for her suggestion. In verse number one, she had this Egyptian hand, handmaid. They picked her up while backslid in Egypt. And I'm just going to tell you something. This is a picture of when a child of God gets away from God back in Egypt and they come back into their fellowship with God with stuff they don't, didn't have when they left. You may come back with the world's music. You may, <laughs> you may come back with the world's dress. If you're not careful, if you hang out in Egypt, you're going, to come, you're going to bring Egyptian stuff into your home. You're going to bring it into your heart and your life. And there's a danger. Do not bring anything from the world into your life. It will damage you. You'll pick up their ways, their mannerisms, their methods, their, uh, their little phrases, their thoughts, their patterns, their ideas, their philosophy, and those later become Satan's source of temptation for you, and you've got it tucked away in a pocket in your coat, and when that bitterness comes or that trial comes, all of a sudden he pulls that out and says, here's a way to take care of that, or I would do this. Now, I'll tell you something. She had a sorry scheme. Now, I, don't, I want you to pay attention here because this gets detailed, intricate about the deceitfulness of our own hearts. Look what she said in verse number two. And Sarah said unto Abram, behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. You see what she's doing? Blaming God. Lord, this is really all your fault. You're the one who hasn't come through. And I'm tired of waiting on you. And you're not doing what you said you would do. So I'm going to take the matters in my own hands. Now here's what, what is dangerous about this. She is in full-blown rebellion right now. She is not in faith. She's in rebellion. And she's bringing God into it in a way that makes her sound self-righteous. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. This is done so much, I want to vomit. Yeah. You want to have a way of bringing God into it that makes you look self-righteous. Yeah. I mean, our flesh, the Bible said the heart is so desperately wicked, deceitful, above all things who can know it. It's God's fault, Abram, that we need to do this. God hasn't come through for us. So then you get this whole sordid scene there in, chapter, in, in verse number three. And Sarah's wife, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, made the Egyptian. After Abram had dealt 10 years in the land of Canaan, gave her to his husband, Abram, to be his wife. You reckon she officiated the ceremony? I'm 
I'm telling you something. I want you to take a deep look at that. You think, well, I never do anything like that. You might, you might be surprised. You get bitter enough at God. You get blaming God enough. You get disappointed enough with life. And Satan will just pull you right into that thing. To doing things that you thought, I would never do that. Can I tell you something? People do it every day. Every day across the country, people are doing stupid stuff. The truth about it is, both Sarai and Abram were guilty of immorality and adultery. Both of them. The temptation was designed to obtain the goals of faith, but do it through a fleshly manner. All dressed up in religion. All dressed up in religion. Now, I want to talk to you just a little about what this shows us in the way of the problems and the reaping of immorality. The honest truth about it is, if you read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you'll find out that immorality is one of the main problems in humanity. Amen. It just is. And you just will face up to it. And the reason it is, is because God gave mankind, male and female, with the desire to have a marriage and intimate relationships and a home and family, and you're created that way. So what does Satan do? He takes a God-given design and creation and desire, comes in and tries to pervert it, get it outside of God's word, and takes a something that's legitimate, something that is good, something that is glorious, something that is meant to be wonderful for you, and perverts it. He doesn't take, he doesn't take something that, you, you know, you'd, otherwise you might see the clearness of it. Now, it's sad. The Bible said that, she, that uh, everyone, and she conceived. It's sad when a pregnancy has become a problem. Right. I want you to think about that statement. Why should a pregnancy become a problem? God never designed for a pregnancy to become a problem. David had a knock on his door one day and Bathsheba standing outside the door and she said, David, I am with child. You know what she's telling him? We got a problem. You listen to me. Isn't this amazing? One of the sweetest. How many can remember the first time your wife told you, honey, we're going to have a baby. Everybody remember that? I like to see hands. Anybody remember that? I'll tell you what, that's pretty exciting. Amen. Man, I was like, man, let's go tell mom and dad. Let's go tell everybody. God didn't intend for a conception of a child to be a problem. Now, I'm not talking about physical problems, nothing like that. I'm talking about that should be one of the most joyous, happy days of your life when you find out that God has given you a child. Now, what's Satan want to do? He wants to turn a pregnancy into a problem. Young men, listen to me. It's just as much your problem as it is hers. More so. It's more your problem. And don't you think just because our culture lets you run around like a loose dog out here and take no responsibility and you walk off and go run race cars and and, and play blackjack and drink your beer while she's having to deal with the child. Don't you think you ain't going to stand at the judgment bar of Almighty God and I guarantee you he's going to lay the rod on you. I promise you that. This country right here that you're living in will make you feel like you can just, you read my book, you read Walk the Sea with me, you read the story of that, what I talked about in there. And I'm going to tell you something right now. We got a culture of young men who think they can go out, commit immorality, conceive children, walk away from it, just walk 
career away from it. Don't take care of that baby. Don't take care of that girl. And you think you're going to get by with it. You're not getting by with it. Nobody will get by with it. In fact, you're in trouble with God Almighty. Sin will always bring death. Lust, when it hath conceived, bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. You say, Reggie, what kind of death? Well, I can tell you one thing. We've got how many thousands of babies being killed in America a day right now? Is it 3,000 and some a day? You tell me that didn't bring death when I mean literally they go in and butcher a baby alive? I am talking about butchering a baby alive? But it'll do more than that. It'll destroy, it'll bring death to the joy you had. Yeah. I've seen young ladies who were just as happy as the breeze, yeah. shining like a flower, joy in their eyes. I've seen boys who, you know, just, I mean, just having a good time in life. I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Now all of a sudden there's a baby coming. I don't want to marry him. I don't want to marry her. And we got a huge, huge problem. Now, I'm going to do something. I want you to play like I've got the blackboard up here. I don't have it right now. Now, I'm going to preach a message on this later on, but I want this church to get two things in your mind. Two words. On one side of the chalkboard is the word prevention. On the other side is the word cure. I believe, just like the old timers used to say, that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And biblically speaking, God knows that. That's why God told you all this. He wants to prevent things from happening rather than have to cure what's happened. Now, thank God he's in the curing business. But I tell you, wouldn't it be so much better if you never had to endure and go through all that? And so tonight I'm preaching on this where I'm at. So don't think I'm jumping on somebody or nothing like that. I'm just telling you it's where we're at in the Bible. Now, abortion is, is, why did they come? Because it's an unwanted, quote, pregnancy, right? Who could count the tears? Know the sorrow, the sadness, the shame, the burden behind the doors in the hearts of the people involved with that. God never designed pregnancy to be a problem. He designed it to be a blessing and a joy. But Satan takes all that God designed to be a blessing and turns it into a burden. Then you have the pride that comes with it. Now, this, is, this, this shocks me, but, but you can see this with sin everywhere. Look, look at, with the pride uh, uh, in there, in, uh, in her. Did you know that Hagar became proud that she had achieved? She got, she got proud over Sarai. The Bible says she despised her, basically kind of making fun of her. I have a child, you don't. Did you know that's in the Bible? There's another thing that using, using that, that's a very touchy subject. You walk in this church, be real careful, people that don't have children. Don't act cocky, don't never say nothing to them. That would hurt their, hurt their hearts. There are people who can't have children, they can't, they can't help it. Don't, don't, don't be careful about family gatherings and talking about all your, boy, your great kids. And somebody may be sitting there, they, they're not married or haven't been able to get married, don't have kids. Think a little bit about what you're saying, who you're saying it around. But she takes this here and she had this pride. When she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Uh, if you remember the stories about uh, <clears throat> Jacob and his wives. Yeah. Remember the wives fighting over who's going to get to be with him? Yeah. Yeah. 
All kinds of family problems come this junk, this stupidity. I'll just throw this in. Muslim religion allows for four wives. Why do you think old Muhammad wrote that in there for, in the Quran? Because he's a pervert. <clears throat> if history's correct, he had a 12-year-old wife. You talk about a child pedophile molester. And I've never heard anybody, I've never heard a Muslim deny that. Mormonism. You ever seen a picture of old boy started Mormonism or the, or the second guy took charge and how many, he had 20 some or 30 some wives. There's a photo of him. It's all about using religion to be a pervert and to satisfy your lustly desires. But anyway, she, she was despised. Hagar became proud that she'd achieved what Sarah had not achieved, giving him a, a, a child. Isn't it amazing that queers and sodomites have pride week? The Bible said that would be one of their sins, fullness of bread, idleness, and pride. Exactly what they're doing. Isn't it an odd thing that Satan can make people proud of? Now, watch this. <clears throat> I've, seen, I've seen girls got pregnant out of wedlock. Instead of repenting, got cocky. Yeah. Yeah. Got cocky. Don't say nothing to me and act like, and flaunted it. Almost daring anybody to say anything. That's wrong. That's sinful. You ought not be proud of sin. I, I honestly good it may have happened. Boys will go around bragging on their immorality. That's sin. You mean you're proud of bringing a child into a world that has no father, that has no home, that has no parents, and you're cocky and proud about yourself? You're nuts. Isn't it amazing how we can get proud of our very filthiness and our very sin and wickedness and disobedience to God Almighty? I mean, these are just things that this passage of Scripture is bringing out that we need to learn from. Another thing is disrespect. Her mistress despised her in her eyes. Disrespect is a fruit of immorality. Because immorality is disrespectful of God's Word. It's disrespectful of God. It's disrespectful of family relationships. I mean, I've seen a lot. Uh, listen, I know I'm old, okay? I've accepted that. But I've lived longer than a lot of you people in here. Some of you at my age, but I've lived a lot longer. I've seen some things. I'm going to just tell you something. It's not fun. It's not fun when a young lady has to tell her mom and dad, I've got a baby in me. Do you know whose it is? Well, I'm not sure. That's not fun. It's not a fun night at the house. It's not fun when some dad gets a call and, and his says, says to his dad, said, your son date raped my daughter. It means you're going to have trouble. And the dad says, I'll hang up. I'll call you back after a while. And he sits his son down and says, what's going on? I just got a call. And listen to me tonight. You say, Reggie, why are you preaching these things? Because I want to prevent it instead of having to cure it. Amen. Wouldn't it be better if it's prevented? And you don't have to go through that. Yeah. Now, we're going to talk about things that, it, it, you know, the sad part about it is we live in a sin-cursed world. A lot of rough stuff going on. All of us are sinners. All of us are capable of sinning. Apart from the grace of God, wicked above our head. Okay? But we want to, uh, what, he said, he'd give us these things for our learning. 
Well, learn something. You know, somebody said there's two ways to learn things. Experience and somebody telling you. <laughs> and when the, the one with the, the, somebody else's, let somebody else make the mistakes and you learn from it. Amen. It brings disrespect to God's word. It brings disrespect to sacred things, much less the social and cultural things. But let me tell you what else it does. Look in verse number five and six. This is wild. And Sarah said to Abram, <clears throat> my wrong be upon thee. Having a good time at the house tonight. Abram comes in. Maybe he's been out working the sheep. I don't know. And she's mattering a wet hen. And she's having all kinds of trouble. Her handmaid with a child from her husband is in that house. And Abram comes in and she says, my wrong be upon thee. Isn't it amazing how we want to blame everybody else for our trouble. And blame somebody else for trouble. Now listen, what, and it, what, remember, I have given my maid in thy bosom when she saw that I had conceived, I despised her eyes. Look what she says. She brings God in on it again. The Lord judge between me and you. Yeah. I, if I remember right, just a few verses earlier that, she's the one who suggested it. Abraham should have been a man enough to reject it and say, listen, you speak as a foolish woman speaking. I don't want to ever hear another word about that the rest of our lives. But he didn't. But now she's blaming him, saying, my wrong be upon thee. Then Abram said to Sarai, boy, they're having a good time at the house tonight, ain't they? You see what immorality does to a marriage? Ruin it. They're not having nice supper at the table and how hey, your day, honey? And what's good to see? Walk up. You imagine that Sarai walked up to him when he come through the door and said, I, I've been waiting all day for you to get home, give him big old hug and kiss. It's so good to see you, honey. She's standing over waiting for him to come in. How many want, <laughs> I started to say, how many of you been there, but I don't want no hands. <clears throat> Marriage decay comes from immorality. Blaming, justification, friction. Immorality has ever been and always will be a destroyer of marriage in the home. Amen. Then there's the hypocrisy that comes with immorality. My wrong be upon thee. The Lord judge between me and thee. One of the highway signs of hypocrisy is to blame somebody else. <laughs> the old timers used to have this statement, it takes two to tango. Yeah. You know, just, hey, hey, we're in church, let's just be honest. Now, I'm preaching the Bible. Am I not preaching the Bible? I'm pre this, this story is coming straight out of the Bible tonight. Yeah. And I look across America and I say, man, nothing, nothing's changed. We've got all these unmarried uh, uh, young people, a baby that they're trying to figure out what to do with. It's causing chaotic trouble everywhere. You know something, if I was a mom and dad, I'd be glad I had a preacher get up and preach on this. Amen. I'll just be honest with you. There's a long, crooked tail of, uh, trail of why it really is not my fault, usually. And then the next thing in verse number five is that they said, the Lord judged me. The Lord is dishonored. She used God to justify the sin to start with, and now she's using God and the problems that came from the sin. This dishonors God. Nathan said this to David, by this deed hast thou given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Sin in believers' lives always dishonors God. But here's the thing. Now we're going to stick the plow down, and we're getting into some good dirt. Verse number six. <clears throat> Abram said unto Sarah, I behold thy handmaid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleases thee. Now I said, we looked at this great man. There's some faithfulness, some wonderful things he did. But you're talking about he's hitting the bottom of the bucket right here. 
he was the one who apparently gladly took her up on the, on the suggestion. Yes, he did. Now he's coming in with the problems from it and it's like, I'm washing my hands of it. You take care of it. Do what you want to with her. You're talking about sorry and low down. Now, wait a minute. You reckon he, this is the, this is the man that's the father of faith. This isn't just some old boy. Now I want to ask you, what can you learn from that? What can you learn from that? If Abraham can act like that, I can act like that. If Abraham can wash his hands of a situation and act like, well, I, I'm not, I, you know, I'm out. I can too. What can you learn from this? Watch it. Take responsibility for your actions. Amen. Be a man. Yep. I know I used to hear this when I was growing up and I remember being a kid for the Brett. And it took me a while to figure out what they're talking about. They'd say, I was told so they're going to have a shotgun wedding. Yep. How many knows what a shotgun wedding is? Anybody? Yep. How many of you kids know what a shotgun wedding is? <laughs> That's when the daddy found out you've been messing with his girl and he took a shotgun, marched you up to the front of the church, had the preacher to marry you. Yeah. Yep. Said you're getting married whether you like it or not. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine having a shotgun at your back? I do, I do, I do. Yes, I do. I sure do. <laughs> yeah, I really do. <laughs> he pokes that gun in your back a little bit. Oh, I know our forefathers are a bunch of jerks. Bunch of male chauvinists. Bunch of idiots. Just founded the best nation on the face of the earth. Greatest freedom, the greatest prosperity, most food, most everything you can find in the whole world. But they are a sorry bunch. Now here's the thing I want you to get about this. Now listen to this. It produces betrayal. Behold thy maid. Now watch this. She had a shift in her vocabulary. She's like the liberals. They got a new name for everything. Earlier it said, <laughs> earlier it said to be thy wife. Now she's your maid. She's our maid. She changed her tune. She betrayed that girl. <clears throat> and the Bible said immorality produces betrayal because it violates love. And anytime you violate love, you're betraying the person you said you loved. Amen. How often has a young lady at times and a young man been betrayed after immorality? Yeah. Yeah. Get rid of them. Walk off, leave them. I ain't got no more time for you. That's thick as hair on a dog's back all over the country. Hagar pulled into, got pulled into Sarah and Abram's unholy scheme and betrayed by both of them. Both Abram and Sarah betrayed that girl. This leads me to wonder why a lot of times you think you see situations. You, I wonder sometimes what's behind the door. Right. What, what had been done to cause that girl to act that way, to feel that way? Yeah. <clears throat> immorality is a betrayal against God. Amen. If you're a Christian, you commit immorality, you betrayed God. Okay. Betrayed the word of God. You betrayed the cause of Christ. You betray the one that died for you. You betray the Lord Jesus Christ. You betray the church. Just being honest. It's a betrayal of truth. It's betrayal of righteousness. It's betrayal of everything good. 
You say, was that true? There's a name connected to betrayal. His name is Judas. Don't be a Judas. Did you know that David betrayed Uriah? Uriah was one of his 33 mighty men. He's one of the closest men to David that he had. And when, da when Uriah was gone on the battlefield fighting a war for David, he betrayed him and he betrayed him by immorality. The raw truth of it is, fellas, if we watch pornography, we are betraying our wives. We're betraying God. If we have lustful thoughts toward another woman, we're betraying our wife. Just the honest truth. You ought to think this way about it. Would I like it if my wife was thinking the thoughts I'm thinking? Ask yourself that question before you let that rabbit run. If I knew my wife was thinking the same thoughts I'm thinking, how would I feel? You know how you'd feel? You'd feel betrayed. That's how you'd feel. <clears throat> then there's injustice. Injustice. In verse number six, it says, do as it pleaseth thee. Hagar is being punished by the people who hatched the whole scheme. It wasn't her idea. Now I'm going to say something a little rough right here. If you do the, if you do the numbers, the, the logistics, the end of the chapter tells you that Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. That makes him no, no longer than 85, no, no younger than 85 years old when he took that girl to be his wife. Any of you girls 15 years old interested in marrying a guy 85 years old? Just be honest with yourself. This is a rough deal right here. This is rough stuff. And I also think it's interesting that we're in such a time in America right now, this child trafficking garbage, yeah. of which some very high and mighty people are guilty of in this country. Yeah. She's bearing the judgment of other people's immorality and actions. Yeah. Where's the justice for Sarai, for Abram? Why don't they take responsibility? You know what they do? Throw her out. And again, I say immorality always produces injustice. Think about the, unjust, the, the injustice of a baby in the womb. What did I do? What have I done? It seems like those that are most innocent suffer the most injustice from immorality. Immorality is also not only unjust, but it's cruel. Sarah dealt hardly with her, the Bible said. She dealt hardly with her. Now, you know what that means? She probably had a stick or a rolling pin, or something. And she was after her with it. She dealt hardly with her. She probably talked rough to her. She probably talked mean to her. She probably hollered at her. And she probably beat on her. And she made life absolutely miserable. And here Sarah is the very one who started the whole thing. She made it hard on her. Cruelty. Immorality is cruel. I'll prove it to you. David, you know what he did with Uriah after he had betrayed him? He had him put to the forefront of the battle and had him killed. There's no deeper cruelty than that right there. Immorality is cruel. And I'm going to say this again. Young people or us men, us married men. When we get messed up in immorality, we are betraying, we're unjust, and we are cruel. 
As I said, cruel, you talk about killing an unborn child. I do not know of anything more cruel than to literally butcher a child alive. It's cruelty to leave a girl with a child and no father to take care of it, no breadwinner, no home to live in. We wonder what rolls wrong with this country. It's the destruction of the nuclear family of a husband and wife who will stay together, have their children, keep their children fed, protected, guided. Yeah. <clears throat> Leave a child with no father. Some of the ramifications. How are you going to go to job with a baby? You've got a baby. How are you going to pay the light bill with a baby? Now, I've said many times in this pulpit, the success of your life is going to be determined by how well you see over into eternity. Amen. And let me just say something. Before you start down any of these trails, this happened here, you better look, take a good long look over into eternity and see farther down the road than what you're seeing right here. Because if Satan gets you to where all you can see is the bitterness and the disappointments and the, and the things of life that just hadn't turned out like you'd like, if you're not careful, you lose sight of, the, you lose sight of everything and Satan doesn't want you to see it. So look at verse number six. What she do? Sarah, Sarah dealt hardly with her and she fled from her face. She run her out of the house. <clears throat> Some tough stuff here, okay? I mean, I don't know. All I know, dude, just if I can't bring Bible into reality of our lives, I, I don't, I, I'm just not going to dance around stuff. Amen. But I'm going to tell you something tonight. If your daughter gets expecting out of wedlock, don't run her off. Amen. Don't run her out of the house. That's not going to fix it. Where's she going to sleep? How's she going to get food to eat? How's the baby going to be cared for? You say, well, it embarrasses me. Yeah, you got a pride problem too. You know something? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've said this before at this church. I'm going to say it again. Boys, if you mess up like this and you conceive a child, why don't you just be man enough to walk straight into this church, say, Pastor, I need to talk to the church from the pulpit. Get up behind this pulpit and say, listen, I've sinned against God, sinned against this girl. I've got a baby coming out of wedlock. I don't know how we're going to work through this, but I, I need your forgiveness. And I've asked God to forgive me. I ask your forgiveness. And I'm asking you to pray for me that I'll do the right thing before God Almighty. That's what ought to happen. That's what ought to happen, but you don't see it happening. What you see, they sliver off like a snake out here, never come back to church and won't admit that anything's their problem. Never confess their sin to God or nobody else. And the girl, if we're not careful, she just feels like, I can't go to church. I'll just, they, they, they'll, just, they'll just look. See, the devil's going to lie like a dog to him. He's going to tell them that nobody loves you now. They're going to condemn you. They're going to look at you. They're going to make you feel bad like you're nobody. And it's going to make it rough on you. And you just, you shouldn't go to church. But let me say something, girls. That's the first place you need to get to after you've been to your mom and dad. And you need to do the same. You say, well, well, that would just kill me to have to do that. I hope you never get, the way to not ever have to do that is don't get, in that, don't get started during the rail. But if it happens, you know what you need to do? Number one, do not go kill that baby. I'd have to talk to Karen about this, but we might raise it ourselves rather than you kill it. Amen. I bet I could find 15 families in here that take your baby rather than you kill it. 
Don't let the devil take you there. Amen. Amen. The best thing you can do is just walk in this church and say, Pastor, I need to talk to the church. Just get it, just clear the slate. Be honest, be humble. I don't think there's a person in this church, if there's anybody in this church that would not love you and pray for you and help you and befriend you, they're sorry, Lord, they're worse shape you are. Amen. And dear friend, that can happen. But the reason we don't see that is because there's a feeling in our churches of condemnation and no mercy. Now listen, if you're going to walk around cocky and proud and walk in here and sit down and act like it's no big deal, and I'm not repenting about nothing. I'm proud. You're what did here? No, no, there's probably not going to be the feeling of love and all that. But if you humble yourself and get the grace of God and get the forgiveness of God and ask the forgiveness of your family and your church and so forth, I'll, I'll tell you what you'll do. You're going to find you're going to find more love than you probably ever realized existed in this world. You're going to find out that some lady's probably going to walk up to you and whisper in your ear, "I've been through what you're going through. Nobody knows it." Yeah. I got a phone call one day from a family here in church and. Is actually, to be honest with you, is an elderly couple. And I went to their home, and, and he met me at the door, and he shook his head and said, Reggie, she's in bad shape. We need help. And I walked in there, and she had her face in her hands like this, and she was just bobbing on the couch and just weeping and just trembling. Now, this is an elderly woman. And I sat down there, and I just sat there for a little while, and finally she started kind of getting hold of herself a little bit, and... I said, dear sister, what, what's wrong? How can I help you? I'll never forget. She looked up to me and she said, when I was a teenage girl, she said, I got pregnant out of wedlock. And she said, I aborted my baby. I killed it. And she said, Reggie, you cannot imagine the torment I've been in all these years. And she said, I'm at this age in my life. Now, this happened. You've got to think about this. See, the stuff was going on, you know, back there, late 60s and 70s. And this, this lady was in her 60s. I, I think about her mid-60s. But anyway, I, I, that scene has never left me. This lady who was forgiven by God, who was saved. She was born again, sweet Christian lady. But somehow or another, Satan had just so loaded her down with that guilt of killing that child that she, it about took her under. And all I could do was just give her the Bible. Amen. That the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Amen. That he hath loved us and washed us with his own blood. Amen. And if I can't give her that, I can't give anybody anything. Did he not pay for all of our sins? Amen. He didn't set a set of sins over here that says that can't be forgiven. But what we need is the grace of God to humble ourselves and come clean and confess and be honest with us. And behold, doubt is our truth in inward parts. You wouldn't have had the rest of the book of Psalms if David hadn't come clean in Psalms 51, 30, 31 there. You say, Reggie, what happens? One of the worst problems is, number one, she was driven out in the wilderness there. One of the worst problems with immorality is what it does. A woman trying to raise a child, maybe trying to make a living. What kind of employment is she going to get? Who will care for the baby, raise the child? And she becomes, if you're not careful, trapped in a welfare system that rewards sin. That's right. 
Then you look at the restlessness in verse number six. She fled from her face. You know, sin drives you. Sin will take you way farther than you ever planned on going. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. There's no peace, no rest, no tranquility. Now I want you to, now things is going to change here, folks. This has been a pretty sad, sordid story up to this point. But thank God where sin abounded, grace grace did much more abound. And in verse number seven, so I want you to give you the good news now. Verse number seven, the angel of the Lord. And by the way, in the Old Testament, often, I believe this with all my heart, there's a debate about this, but the angel of the Lord oftentimes, I believe is a literal visitation from pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. There's there's really sound scripture to back that up. See, he's eternally existed. He just didn't start existing at Bethlehem. He became man. Okay. He's been God forever. An angel's messenger. And there's just things when the three came to Abraham. They're just different things that indicate strongly that. But whether or not it was, is the angel. I want you to look. I want you to underline this new Bible. Whoa. The Lord founder. Amen. <laughs> oh, 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 that's sweet. She's out there. But I, can you imagine girls? This girl's out there. She's who, who knows how many months along. Pregnant by an 85-year-old man. Been run off by her. You know, the whole mess was their design. And, and, they, and they cleaned their hands of her. Threw her out of the house. Drove her out of the house. And it wasn't like it is today. She's literally out there in the wilderness and finds a fountain of water. And there's where she's at. Nobody to take her in that night. No, 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 no bed to sleep on. No covers to pull up over you. No food to go to the refrigerator and get. She's got a baby on the way. She has no family. She was literally, if you want to know the truth, she was, she was a, a, a slave. Bought and paid for, handmade. Probably doesn't have any idea where her parents or grandparents, who they even were in Egypt, much less. She is destitute. If you want to read something sweet in your Bible, picture this girl laying on the ground there. You know what she did with that baby? She took it over here. She she knew. She had, she, she's, um, I said a while ago she's expecting. She had the baby. I'm sorry. She takes that baby over there. And she says, I don't want to see it die. She knows she couldn't keep it living. Boy, I'm glad God found her. Amen. Amen. Now, I want to tell you something. I don't care how far out in the wilderness you get in sin. God will come where you're at. Yes, he will. God will come where you're at. I love that passage of scripture. I mean, the, the story starts brightening up. Amen. Aren't you glad God writes the last chapters? Amen. Did you know that I ain't, going, I ain't going to tell you who they are, but I know some people that you may know that are very good Christian people. But it wasn't always that way. I know some people that when they got married, it wasn't under the best circumstances that that are godly, godly people today. God found them. That's what happened to them. You say, well, I ain't never been that shape. Well, if you're saved, God found you too. Amen. Amen. Look what it says there. God found them. Found it. I want to tell you that. Look, he says, found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain of the way to sure. Now, here God's going to ask this girl. <laughs> and you know, we had this daughter Sunday last week. And that's such a blessing. Amen. I mean, I, I'm honest with you, that blessed my heart as much as about anything's ever happened here at church. I don't know just why, it just did. But here's two questions. And I want everybody, but particularly you young ladies, to think about what God's going to ask. Now, here's what I like. First of all, Brother Randy, you know what God did not? Let me tell you what God didn't do. Now, God seeks her out and he finds her 
out here in the wilderness, in the brush, by a fountain of water. Baby's over here. I can't take care of it. I, my life is shot. And God finds her. Let me tell you what God didn't do. All righty, I finally found you. Sorry, worthless thing. Get up from there. You're worthless. You can see the baby out of wedlock. You're no good. God did not do that. You can't find one condemning word God said to that girl. <laughs> I tell you what, what a savior we've got. Amen. Amen. Now you might be bored with this message, but I ain't. Okay. He found her. Then he asked her two questions. Look at your two questions. And girls, particularly the girls tonight, I want to ask you, the, I want you to let God ask you these questions. And ladies, I want you to ask it. And all of us ask this question. Here they are. Verse number eight. And he, the angel Lord, said, Hagar, Sarah's maid. You know what he didn't do? He did not call her Abram's wife. <laughs> he said, Sarah's maid. First question. Whence comest thou? Where you been? What have you been doing with your life? Good question to ask yourself. Whence comest thou? And then the second question, whither wilt thou go? <laughs> Both questions need to be answered. She could have said, it's none of your business where I've been. <laughs> Don't get that attitude. Why did God ask her the first question? He wanted her to come clean about her situation. Because at this point, Hagar turns into a picture of a lost person that God's going to deal with. And God's going to ask you, where'd you come from? What's going on in your life? You see, you'll never answer the second question right till you've answered the first question right. You know what God's saying? You're going to have to get right about your sin first before we get the future going where it needs to be at. This is where people miss it. They want to get their future fixed before dealing with their sin. God says, no, we're going nowhere in your future with me until we deal with your sin. So the sorrow comes there. Um, what did, what did these people do with all this mess? Abraham, he ignored it. Sarah, she vexed everybody around her. And Hagar, she ran from her problems. But you can't run far enough before you get away from God. You can have problems in your marriage, your family, your parents, your children, your neighbors, whatever. But I want to tell you something. You need to let God find you and talk to him when he finds you. The grace of God for the problems of life. The number one problem of our life is sin. But the Bible said, where sin abounded, grace did also much more abound. He gives grace to the humble. He doesn't give it to people who are cocky and proud and justify and rationalize and blame their sin. Here's the truth about it, it is. You do not, watch this, pick this up. You do not hear Sarah, uh, Hagar, having a big ranting fit about Abram and, and, and Sarah. You see, she could have said, it's all their fault. And God, it's your fault. Why did I have to wind up here? I'm an Egyptian girl. How did I, it's your fault. It's their fault. You don't see that. The day you quit blaming everybody else for what's went wrong in your life, quote, is going to be a happy day for you. Look what it says there. Whence comest thou and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarah. 
Now, man, like, this thing is so wonderful. It's just, but anyway, he found her. Didn't kick her. Didn't condemn her. Didn't browbeat her. God comes seeking and finding us. I'm telling you what I feel like. I mean, I'm just about like Hagar. That's about how he found me. God comes seeking us and finding us and he cares about us and he comes to where we're at. The Bible said in Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man's come to seek and to save the lost. And I'll tell you right now tonight, it doesn't matter who you are or who you aren't. It doesn't matter what's happened, what hadn't happened. There's probably in this church tonight, there's probably hidden sin. There's probably things that you don't want nobody to know and, and you know God knows it, but nobody but you and God knows it. But I'm going to tell you something tonight. Listen, you're, be sure your sin will find you out. If there's anything you need to learn in life, you're not going to get by with it. You're going to have to face it someday. You either face it on this side of death or you're going to face it on the other side of death. But it doesn't matter what you've done or not done. It matters what you're going to do with the visitation of the Lord. You remember when Jesus came to the woman at the well, he'll come down to the gutter of our sin, but he starts dealing with her sin. Now I'm going to talk about an issue tonight that I think is stopping churches from having the power of God, stopping people from having victorious living. It's, it'll kill the work of God dead in his tracks. And here's what it is. And I've already alluded to it. And that is trying to go forward with God without dealing with our sin. Yeah. We just kind of want to shove it aside and act like it's not there and act like it's not there. And yet we, in our heart, we want to walk with God. We want to have victorious life. And God said, no, we are not going forward till you have dealt with this sin. So we ask her, let me just tell you something. God don't pass out pain pills. God goes to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is always sin. And he does it on the basis of his son's sacrifice and his blood. We want God to fix our problems without dealing with our sin. So he comes to this question. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Whence camest thou? I want you to look at your past. Where you've been, what you've been doing, where are you going to? And I'm asking you to do that tonight. Really and honestly, where where'd you, where you been? Could I ask you, what kind of music are you listening to? What kind of shows are you watching? What's going on in your life? What kind of desires have you had? What would you do if you knew you could get by with it? What would you do if you knew your folks wouldn't find out? What would you do if you knew your wife couldn't find out? Where are you at? Where you been? This is what God wants to know. He, unless we get there, we are going nowhere with God. Until we're truthful and honest with our own hearts. And you may be sitting here tonight and you're saved, you're a Christian, but there are issues... And until you let God deal with them, I promise you, we can have all the camp meetings you want to have. We're going nowhere with God. You'll sit around and wonder what everybody else is happy for. Yeah. But here's the question I love. If you let God deal with the sin, then it's where we're going to go from here. Whither wilt thou go? And this is what I want to ask you tonight as we close. Where are you going from here? What's the future going to hold for you? What's going to happen to your life within 10 years? Yeah. I've seen boys sit in this church house and seen their legs from the time they were little enough, let their legs <laughs> wiggle on the old, do like that sitting in the deal and watch them grow up teenage years. And, and you see them take that turn away from God. And the face continues to get harder and harder and the accountant gets in this. You can just see a total rejection of the things of God. I'm going to ask you from this night, tonight, where are you headed? Where are you headed? From, I'm talking about tonight. God's found you tonight. Do you know that? God came to where you're at. 
My question to you is the same question he asked her. Where are you going from tonight? I can tell you this, you're not going to go nowhere with God until you let God deal with your sin. But if you'll let God deal with your sin, you'd be shocked where God will take you. And God had a life for this girl. And she affected history. Be honest with you, hugely. And God found her where she's at. Some things that we learn about life after salvation, getting saved doesn't remove the earthly temporal consequences of sins. She still carried that baby and had to feed that baby. Just because she had an encounter with God and got things lined out didn't mean she didn't have problems of life. To be honest with you, my guess is that Hagar had a pretty rough life. I don't think everything was hunky-dory when she came back up there. Now, you listen, did you get this? Watch this. When, when God said, where are you going to from here? She must have looked at God like, I don't know, Lord, where do you want me to go? Because you know what the Bible said? Return. Return. Go back there. Did you know that God's probably going to just tell you, go back to where you came from, submit to my authority and the God-ordained authorities in your life, do what you're supposed to do and let me take care of the rest of it. I don't know what it was like at the house when she got back to Abram and Sarah's house, but I I don't think things was just, I don't think she walked in prancing going, oh, I just had an encounter with God Almighty. It was just wonderful back there. And I think Sarah looked at her like, what are you doing back here? And she may have had a terrible rough time. I don't know what happened when the baby was born. I don't think Sarah was ever wild about that child. You listen to me tonight. Just because you get things right with God and you go forward with God does not mean you're going to escape the temporal consequences of the the sin and so forth in your life. But here's the secret. God will give you grace through those reaping experiences and the pain will be used to keep us humble and in remembrance of the grace of God in our lives. I know that personally. God will ultimately work all things together for good. He'll take what was a tragedy and turn it into a triumph. And then we'll learn that God sees us and knows us no matter where we're at, no matter what's happened to us, and is there and cares about us and loves us. And she named that well, that fountain, she named it the well of him that liveth and seeth me. You know what she knew? That God wasn't some Egyptian statue. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and God was the God who could find you when you're out by yourself in the wilderness there. Let me ask you these questions in closing. Was it over for Abraham and Sarah? No, it wasn't. That's something you need to learn from this. Just because they messed up, it wasn't over for Abraham and Sarah. Was it over with for Hagar? No, No, it wasn't. Let me just tell you something. It's never over with for God's children. Keep that in mind. When you've messed up so bad, you can't imagine what you did, what you thought you'd never do. It's not over with with God. Will God break his covenant relationship? No, he will not. He did not and will not. Will God cast them off? No, he did not and he will not cast them off. Will they be lost? No, they're not lost. God recorded them as heroes of faith in the Bible. Chapter 17 shows us clearly the love of a covenant-making God. And aren't you glad that when you have messed up and those in authority over you have messed up and were foolish and unwise and rebellious and full of iniquity, that God didn't walk away from you, that he, he didn't say, hey, when you get fixed, when you get your head right, come back. No, he goes out where you're at. And you may have woke up every morning in your earthly life and live with the consequences of sin. Many people probably tonight in this church, every day we wake up, we live with some consequences of the sins of our past. But thank God we can look forward and walk forward with God and be humble before him and live with his grace and his mercy. We can humble ourselves. 
we can endure chastisement. We can draw nigh to God. We can wait on the Lord and we can have vibrant hope and joy. I'm just telling you something. You don't want something. I don't know whenever in my life that I have enjoyed churches. I, this morning I thought I was going to fly. I thought I thought wings was coming on me for a minute. Amen. They were singing that song. I'll tell you what God, you talk about love lifted me. Man, I'm telling you what, the spirit of God was with me. I'm having more fun getting more out of church than I've ever in my life got out. I'm just like, well, let's just live at church. Now listen tonight. I, if you're living a sinless life, this message is not for you. If everything's great and you've never messed up, this is absolutely of no value to you. But I want you to know tonight that if your life has been in a mess, God can fix her. Amen. Amen. God can take it. And the question is tonight, where you been? Where you going? That's the question. It's not how bad you've been, how you've messed up. Now, I want to say a little something tonight. Let's just, let's just, at this church, we do our best. We have, we lean heavy on the preventive at this church. A a uh, church that is in more recovery ministry and ministering to addicted people, they're more in the curing aspect of it. Just the truth. Okay? In this church, God has put this body of believers together, mostly of families who do not want their kids to get messed up with the world and get messed up bad and have a lot of scars on their life. Is that not true or not? Okay, now, there's something you need to watch real, real careful in being in a church like this. If you're not careful, you'll have a little, bunch of little rascals lined up beside you. And they're just little old sweetest little things. And they dress right and they don't, they don't blow their nose in the middle of church. And, and they sit there like little Indians and listen to the preaching. And you're just so proud of them. They're going to grow up on you one of these days. You're going to find out they inherited your sin nature. And they're liable to do something you ain't very proud of. Break your heart and remind you of how wicked you, you've been. And if you ain't careful, you'll come into this church and you just kind of hunker down and your pride. Let me just tell you something. Don't let pride about raising your children keep you from getting the grace of God. Amen. For we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I'd like to think that this would be a place in the wilderness where people who, even though they don't know how they even got where they're at, could hear the voice of God and God say, Whence comest thou? And they realize that God found them even in their sin. And in their sorrow and in their trouble and in their failure. And God came straight to where they're at when nobody else was talking to them. And if God had told her straight to her face, hey girl, I want you to know something. I love you. He couldn't have said it any better than he did. Just coming to where she was at. I want you kids to always remember this. God may take me out this week. He could. Danny preached that this morning. Don't you ever forget that your old preacher said, 
You can't fall into sin far deep enough for what God can't come to where you're at. Amen. Amen. Don't you let the devil ever tell you that I've messed up too bad. It's too terrible. Don't let you let him lie to you like that. Yeah, we'd like to prevent, but we've also got to cure. Amen. Boy, didn't I not make a mess out of this deal? I read this and my heart just, I see the heart of God reaching out. So let's bow our heads tonight. You're listening online. I can't even imagine, you know, I look at the numbers and I think, good land living. Where's all these people from? You may be in Australia, New Zealand. I don't know where you're from. But if you listen to this message tonight, God is asking you, where you been? You say, Reggie, I'm a sinner. And I don't know if God has saved me or not. I want to tell you something right now. God knows where you're at. But the real question is not so much where you're at, is where you're willing to go with God. Amen. But God's going to deal with your sin. God's got to deal with your sin. He's holy, He's just, and He does not, he does not let sin slide. It's got to be dealt with. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And if you'll confess your sins to God tonight and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, God will save you. And man, I'm telling you, it's where you're headed. It's not where you've been. How many can say tonight, Brother Reggie, there was a day in my life when really, yeah, God asked me where I'd been and where I was headed to. You remember that day? Boy, I remember that day. I'll tell you what. If you're here tonight, I'd like for the pianist just to play softly tonight. But don't wait for a pianist. If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord or you need to talk to God, you know, why don't you come and do business with the Lord tonight?